Is there a giant lurking behind the scenes, threatening to steal your joy? Discover how to banish fear and worry when you read Slaying the Giants in Your Life by Dr. David Jeremiah. This best-selling book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. For a gift of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, study guide, CD or DVD album, and more. And this month only, for just $60, you can receive this set immediately as a digital kit. Learn more and donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. Left unchecked, rust eventually destroys the mightiest battleship. Left unresolved, resentment works the same way, taking its terrible toll on your life. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah illustrates his truth with a sad account from King David's life and explains how to defeat resentment before it takes root in your life. To introduce his message, Slaying the Giant of Resentment, here's David. Thank you for joining us today and for uh, wanting to know what the Bible says about all these things we're talking about. We're talking about the giants in your life. We have discussed discouragement and loneliness and fear and worry and guilt and temptation and anger. And today, part one of resentment. If you've missed any of these and would like to have the information, you can get it in a book that we have created for you. It's been newly revised. It's a beautiful rendition of slaying the giants in your life. 200 pages of biblical answers to the problems you face. This book is yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size during the month of February. That's right. All you have to do is say, please send me the book and we'll do it. It'll be in the mail to you just as soon as we get your request and you'll have it to study. May I suggest that you consider uh, facilitating a group study These are going on all over the country. We have well over 3,000 people in our church that are doing small groups every week. And these materials that are based on the Scripture are so powerful in small group settings. You can facilitate it with a copy of the book you get for a gift of any size during February. You can go and order and buy the study guides from davidjeremiah.org. There's also a package of CDs there that you can get so you can listen to every lesson before your Bible study time, and then just go into the Bible study and have at it. You will be so blessed to know that God has an answer for the problems the people in your small group are facing. I don't have the answers, and you don't have the answers, but God has the answers. We are guides to point people to the truth, and you can do that with these uh, wonderful resources that we have prepared for you. So get the book today by sending a gift. Order the study guides, order the CDs, and you're ready to go. Okay, here's part one of Slaying the Giant of Resentment. Leonard Holt was a paragon of respectability He was a middle-aged, hard-working lab technician who had worked at the same Pennsylvania paper mill for 19 years. Having been a Boy Scout leader, an affectionate father, a member of the local fire brigade, a regular churchgoer, he was admired as a model citizen in his community. That is until the day that image exploded in a well-planned hour of bloodshed, one brisk October morning. A proficient marksman, he stuffed two pistols in his coat pockets and drove to the mall. He stalked slowly from the mall to his shop and began shooting with calculated frenzy all around him. He filled several co-workers with two or three bullets apiece, 
firing more than 30 shots, killing some men he had known for more than 15 years. Bewilderment swept through the community because no one could understand why he would have done this. Puzzled policemen and friends finally began to piece together a train of logic behind his brief reign of terror. You see, down deep within the heart of Leonard Holt rumbled the giant of resentment. His monk-like exterior concealed the seething hatred that was inside. The investigation yielded the following facts. Several victims had been promoted over him while he had remained in the same position. More than one in his carpool had stopped riding with him to work because of his reckless driving. The man was brimming with resentment, rage that he could hold no longer, and beneath his picture in Time magazine, the caption told the story. There were just three words. Responsible, respectable, resentful. Someone has described resentment as the accumulation of unexpressed anger. Anger swept under the rug. Because it is not noticed, it can often go ignored while all of the time it is building and growing like an invisible tumor. Author Louis B. Smeads graphically describes the effects of hatred prolonged into resentment in these words. He says, we make believe we are at peace while the furies rage within, beneath the surface. There, hidden and suppressed, our hate opens the subterranean faucets of venom that will eventually infect all of our relationships in ways we cannot even predict. My friend Gary Ingrid tells a story of a man who was bitten by a dog, which was later discovered to be rabid. The man was rushed to the hospital where tests revealed that he had indeed contracted rabies. At this particular time, medical science had no solution for this problem, and the doctor faced the difficult proposition of telling this man of his condition and informing him that what he had was incurable, that it was terminal. Sir, he said, we will do all we can to make you comfortable, but we cannot give you false hope. There is nothing we can really do. My best advice for you is to put your affairs in order as soon as possible. The dying man sank back into his bed in depression and shock, but finally he rallied enough strength to ask for a pen and some paper, and he began to work with great energy. An hour later, when the doctor returned, the man was still writing vigorously, and the doctor said to him, Well, I'm glad you've taken my advice. You must be working on your will. This ain't no will, Doc, he said. This is a list of people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> that, that is indeed what resentment will do to you. It will turn you into an angry, bitter person. So let's take a look at this giant and let's see if we can figure out, first of all, who this giant is and then determine a way to do warfare against it. Well, the word is not actually mentioned in the Bible. You won't find resentment in your concordances. There is a phrase in one of Paul's letters that is actually 
very close to the word resentment when it is translated in a negative context. And it's strange that this word appears in the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul describes agape love like this. He says, love thinks no evil, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. And the phrase translated thinks no evil, or the think part of the phrase, is the word logizomai. It's a Greek word. Logizomai is a word which has to do with bookkeeping. It means to calculate or to reckon. When you place an entry into a ledger, you use that particular term, logizomai. The purpose of placing an entry into a ledger is to keep a permanent record of that information. The word is used elsewhere in the New Testament in a very positive way for all of us who are Christians. For instance, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute. There it is, the word logizomai. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not calculate or store up or remember or keep a record of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says the same thing. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing trespasses to them, not keeping a record. Aren't you glad that God doesn't keep a record of our sins? That he forgives us and he blots our sins out of the book and there's no record book in heaven where there is a record of all of our sins if we have trusted him to forgive us. Paul used the word on one occasion in his trial to express his hope that those who had deserted him would not be punished. He said it this way, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. May it not be kept in a record against them. So the positive sense of the word means to keep a record, to keep track of, to write down in a book as to remember. And all of us know that in business, it's important to keep a permanent record. We all need to keep good records. But in personal relationships, keeping records is not only unnecessary, it is harmful. Love does not take into an account the wrong that is done against us. Love does not keep a record, does not logizomai the things that are done to hurt us. Love looks for a chance to forgive, not a chance to get even. Love keeps no books because love forgets. The church father Chrysostom once said that a wrong done against love is like a spark that falls into the sea and is quenched. Resentment loves to cultivate the memory of evil, but love forgives and goes on. Now you may be surprised to discover that in the Bible there is a record of someone who resented. And it may surprise you to discover that that someone was King David, the man after God's own heart. When he was dying, King David brought his son Solomon into the room to give him a word And this is what he said in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Listen carefully. He's talking to his son now. And he says, Moreover, you know also 
what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasah, the son of Jether, whom he killed, and shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, Solomon, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Now, I don't know if you know what's going on here, but this is really sad. Here's something that was done to David and his commanders years and years ago. But he stored it up in his mind. He kept track of it all of these years. And while he couldn't revenge himself in his own lifetime, he brought his son in and corrupted his mind with this revenge and said, whatever you do, don't let that guy die naturally. You take him out for what he did. That is an illustration of the kind of hurt and anger that becomes resentment in a person's life. Trouble with resentment is that it does not ever stay the same. In other words, you don't deposit an anger in your heart and it just sort of encapsulates and stays there. Resentment is like a cancer. It grows. It distorts reality. It keeps us chained to the past. It's like bad air. It pollutes not just the bitter person, but everybody who comes in contact with that person. There's a verse of scripture in the book of Hebrews that frighteningly describes what resentment does. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many are defiled. One of the things that people say sometimes is, well, if I want to be bitter, I'm just going to be bitter. It's nobody's business but my own. I'll just be bitter. But it never is like that, is it? Bitterness always spreads out to those around the bitter person, and it always defiles the people it touches. There's no such thing as individual bitterness. If you have any relationships with people at all, your resentment and bitterness is coloring those relationships in a negative way. And research is very clear about the expense of resentment. Experts agree that it is a very high price that a person pays to carry anger and bitterness in their soul. The psychological case for forgiveness is overwhelmingly persuasive. Not to forgive is to be imprisoned by the past, by old grievances that do not permit life to proceed with new business. Not to forgive is to yield yourself to somebody else's control so that while they may be hundreds of miles away and not even aware of your bitterness, your bitterness toward them, in essence, allows that person to control your life and ruin everything that's going on in your whole relationship. It extracts the forgiver from someone else's nightmare. Forgiveness does not look much like a tool for survival in a bad world, but that is what it is. Forgiveness will take away the bitterness. I have a book by S.I. McMillan, who is a medical doctor, called None of These Diseases. And I've referred to that book often in my study. He says in this book that medical science recognizes that emotions such as fear and sorrow and envy and resentment and hatred are responsible for the majority of the sicknesses today. And the estimates of experts range from 60% all the way up to 100%. 
So when we decide to be resentful, we are jeopardizing our own spiritual health, but we're also jeopardizing our physical health. Dick Ennis, in one of his little tracks, tells about an astonished patient who was told by his doctor, if you don't cut out your resentments, I may have to cut out part of your intestinal tract. The man took the doctor's advice and he went home and got all of his resentments straightened out. And he went back to the doctor and the doctor said that his physical condition had cleared up. How many times do people get eaten alive by the bitter anger and acid of resentment? Well, Lewis Smedes has written the definitive book on forgiveness in my estimation. It is a book that I have read several times because it is so wonderfully illustrated. The book is called Forgive and Forget. And if you ever see a copy of it in a bookstore or a used bookstore, it's worth twice whatever they ask for it to get it. I've loaned all of mine out and I have to go buy a new one every once in a while because I don't get it back. And, but I forgive the people who don't bring it back to me. <laughs> In his book, Lewis Mead reviews a play which illustrates the power of resentment like no story I have ever read. Hermann Engel was a German general in World War II and was sentenced to 30 years in prison for atrocities committed by his army. He survived his sentence and in the play he was released from prison. At the time of the play, he is in Alsace building a cabin in the woods where he and his wife intend to live out their years incognito, forgotten, and at peace. In the story, there's a man by the name of Morio who is a French journalist, and he's waiting in the wings. You see, Morio's whole family was massacred by Engels' troops during the war. And when the Nuremberg court had refused to sentence Engel to death for his war crimes... Morio had sentenced Engel to death in his own heart and determined to carry out the sentence in his first opportunity. His condemnation was kept alive by the hot fire of hate that he kept kindling in his heart. Now the time had come in the play. Morio had stoked up the fanatics in the village close to Engel's cabin. That very night, they were going to come up the hill, burn down the cabin, and shoot Engel and his wife to death. But there were a couple of things that Morio hadn't quite figured out. There were some empty spaces in his understanding of what had actually happened in the war. So as a journalist, he decided to go up the hill to the cabin where Engel and his wife were living and ask them some questions the afternoon before they were going to be killed. So up the hill he went. And he introduced himself and told Engel who he was. Engel was quite shaken. And that afternoon, Morio spent grilling the former general about all the village massacres that lay like a forgotten shadow in Engel's past. But Engel's feeble humanity confused Morio. He couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And he was having a hard time putting all the pieces of the terrible story together. His hatred and his vengeance began to be blurred and the purity of his hate was contaminated by what he saw in this old feeble man. Toward the end of the afternoon, 
Muriel blurted out to Ingle that the villagers were going to come that night and kill him. And he offered to lead Ingle out of the woods and save his life. Ingle paused and he said, I'll go with you on one condition. And Muriel thought, what is this guy? Is he mad? What kind of conditions do you give for being saved from being killed? What condition, he said. And Ingle says, I'll go with you if you will forgive me. Forgive? Morio had exterminated Ingle a thousand times in ways of hate that played in his mind for 30 years. Face to face with this man's humanity, Muriel was unsettled in his vengeance. He could save the man's life. He would cancel the execution. But forgive him? Never! And that night, the enraged villagers came with sacks over their heads, burned the cabin, and shot Ingle and his wife dead. Now I ask you, why was forgiving even harder than saving Ingle's life. And here is the core truth. It was too much for Morio to forgive him because his hatred had become a passion so long indulged in his life that Morio could not live without his hatred. His soul could no longer be the person that he was without his hatred. His hate did not belong to him. He belonged to his hate. And the tragedy was that only forgiveness, the one thing that he could not give to Ingle, could set Muriel free. But he could not do it because his hate had become who he was. Yes, there's a price to pay for resentment. And far too often the bill is not received until emotional bankruptcy has set in. So while there is still time, if you harbor resentment against someone, if you're holding a grudge in your heart against a family member or somebody you work with, if you have in your heart a bitterness and resentment that you have not dealt with, why don't you decide today, while there is still time, by the grace of God, I am going to deal with this resentment before it deals with me. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, how do we do it? Let me just give you some ideas. Here's how you can deal with your resentment. Number one, think it through. Think it through. Do you know why most people harbor resentment against others? It's very documented in all of the research that I've done. They do it because it gives them a sense of superiority over the person that they hate. It makes them feel as if they are the decent one being wrongfully treated by an obviously inferior person. They enjoy fantasizing their plots of revenge. They spend their days reviewing what was done to them, retelling the story every time they get a chance. Each time the story is repeated, it is more deeply etched into their mind. Someone has said that resentment gives us two things, neurotic pleasure and religious pride. Think it through. Is this what you were doing? Is it worth it to enjoy this sordid pleasure and risk your own health? Hmm. I think you know the answer to that question. Uh, but in case you don't, we'll talk about this again on Monday. And we'll nail down some of the things you can do 
uh, to deal with this issue in your life and to help others you know who are facing it. Once again, don't forget to order this book. It's filled with all of this helpful information. Uh, It takes you right to the scriptures and shows you the Bible answers to these questions. Uh, These are the things you need to do to face the giants in your life. The book is yours for a gift of any size. That's right. A gift of any size. Just ask for the book. I want to encourage you to do your best. We don't have any limits. We know some people aren't able to do as much as others. But if God is using this ministry to help you, Please help us to continue to do it and expand it so that we can touch many others. Ask for your copy of the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, when you send your gift today. Friends, we're going to Alaska July 15th through the 22nd. That's the next big event on our schedule. Uh, This is a beautiful opportunity to enjoy this unprecedented beauty as we visit this part of the world that has not yet been ruined by man. And uh, we'll have a beautiful time together with wonderful people visiting great ports on a wonderful ship that is so congenial and makes life so wonderful. And uh, this year on our Alaska cruise, something we've never done before, James Brown and Tony Dungy from CBS are going to be our special guests. They'll be with us all week, and my son Daniel is going to interview them one night on the cruise. I hope you'll join us, and most of all, join us on Monday for the next edition of Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life and learn to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. This popular book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca. radio This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. William Carey, the famous British missionary who dedicated his life and learning to the people of India, suffered many setbacks in his work. But somewhere along the way, perhaps in a moment of loneliness or darkness, he made this statement, All my friends are but one, but he is all-sufficient. 
That one friend, of course, was Jesus Christ. In John 15, we find Jesus telling his disciples about a change in their relationship. He said he no longer thought of them as servants, but as friends. And in the disciples' darkest hours, they found, like William Carey, that Christ was sufficient for their needs. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's sufficiency in Christ on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.